Good morning, afternoon or evening and welcome to Recovery Central. And what have we got for you today? We've got a mixed bag it was at first but now it's pretty much focused and it's mainly about relapse. We've got a dialogue which covers how relapse starts a long time before we pick up the drink or the drug which is a very important thing for both us as alcoholics and addicts to understand and also for those around us that we start with the drink before we actually drink, that we start with the drug before we actually use and that there are various things we do and say that actually act as triggers or as signifiers. We've got deflection, denial in our letter in that when we're ill we will refuse to look at the things that are most important that will move us on. We will allow ourselves to be distracted by anything in order to avoid looking in that mirror. And also we have the second half of our interview with Katie where she talks about her relationship with her father and unfortunately her father did pass away in 2016. So we'll be hearing all of that. Anyway, we'll start off with a dialogue. So how was it? I just don't... Was it fun? I... Don't tell me. It was different. What? I'd just like to hear it from you. What about? Where have you been? I don't... Where did he take you? I don't know where to start. No. It's just so that... Let's try something at the beginning. The beginning of what? All of this. But... Okay. Simple clue. You did treatment. Then you started doing meetings. But is that the beginning? I'd say so. I don't understand. That drink and everything that came with it is the end. Is it? Yes. So... We need to look at where your relapse actually started. But I don't know where. That's what we're trying to establish here. Picking up is the very end. There are many clues along the way that show us how you reach the point of picking up. Well, I'm baffled. You moved to a dry house, didn't you? Yeah. What changed? Um, what changed as soon as you moved there? I had more time. What about routine? Routine? You had a routine in treatment, didn't you? Yeah, but I was hardly going to carry on with that, was I? Why not? Because I didn't have to. Why didn't you have to? Was it because you thought it was unnecessary? I suppose so, yeah. So, what replaced that routine? I don't know what you mean. Did you carry on eating meals at regular times? No, not really. Did you carry on cooking? No, not really. Because you didn't have to? You didn't want to? Well, no one else did, so why would I? Is that a sensible answer? Do you think? Maybe not, no. Just because everyone else is doing or not doing something, does that mean you have to copy them? Well, not exactly, but I mean... It's easier? Because then you don't have to be responsible. I don't. Because then it can be someone else's fault. But... And you couldn't even relapse on your own, could you? Well, that was just... Just what? You put yourself in that situation, didn't you? But she was... But she did this, and he did that, and so on and so on, which explains why Simon got drunk, because he was doing what everyone else does. But not everyone relapsed. No, but then that's always their case. Is it? Sometimes, when someone relapses, they're picking up for someone else. What do you mean? You went to the dry house, abandoned your routine, most likely gave up or paid lip service to everything else they taught you in the treatment centre, started going to the pub to watch football, only went to meetings when everyone else was going. So you might as well have been sitting in your living room and you wonder why you relapsed. When you put it like that... I... With a group dynamic like that, sometimes one person takes a hit for the whole group. See what you mean? You sure? I stopped doing any of those things that got me clean and sober. Or paid lip service at best it and then... doesn't mean you have to follow the clock like you do in treatment, nor does it mean you have to go to meetings all the time. However, it does mean that you need to find a routine that suits you and manage your own recovery. Group independence is there for you as a means of ongoing support, but it's not the core of your recovery. 
that has to come from you. I think I... And I've never known anyone come back from a relapse saying it was fun. I ended up in a crack house again. Why am I not surprised? I don't know where the money went. Of course not. Should I ask the centre if I can go back in? You can try, but are they likely to take you back so soon? I don't know. The main thing is you see that this has to stop. Yeah. Break the cycle. Treatment is not a means to an end. Finding somewhere cheap and safe to live and have the rest for a few months. Treatment is the benchmark for starting recovery. Yeah, you're right. I'll ring them, but what do I do if they say no? And I suppose I know if I've written one of these that this is something I've been and done or I've watched someone else do. And that one is certainly something I've been and done. Anyway, we now come to our letter and in that we are looking at someone who has got everything the wrong way up. He can't see the wood for the trees. And this is so often the case when we are chaotically drinking and using and running around to try and cover our backs. Dear Jim, Jack and Jess, I think my wife is having an affair. What's more, I think she knows about my casual arrangement with my secretary. But let's be clear about one thing first. I'm not actually in a relationship with my secretary. We just have sex when we want to, because she's a career girl and my wife is always drunk and very rarely wants to sleep with me. I first became suspicious at a work function when David, he works in financial administration and is never married, but he's far too boring to be a player. He offered to take my wife home as her behaviour was becoming embarrassing and I had to stay for the good of the company because I'm the operations manager. I was quite happy with this until David came back minutes later saying that Steve from Sales, the wannabe Romeo with the just for men plasticine hair, was on his way home anyway because he lives near Ross. It was going to be easier for him to drop Tanya off on the way. Steve said this was because one of his children was ill, but they don't live with him. Unfortunately, I was in no position to leave early, as a large contract hung in the balance and the potential investor was drunker than me, so I had to pin him down. When I got home, my son was lying face down on the kitchen floor, as he often is on a Friday night. He doesn't have a problem, just works hard and plays hard. That said, I roused him and he said something about Steve coming in for a drink. If only my son had been sober, we might have gotten the truth. I confronted my wife the next day, but she was very obstinate. In fact, she told me that she knew all about my arrangement with that slut secretary. Just because Helen's only 24 and my wife is 46 my age, as if that was somehow relevant. I decided to leave her be, as she had already started on the morning gin. I went to the study, fixed myself a scotch and checked my security camera. Not only did it show Steve entering my house at 9.44pm, it showed him leaving at 11.52pm. I rest my case. In short, I may have to divorce my wife and move Helen in, although my son might have designs on her as they're a similar age. Perhaps I could send my wife for a stint in rehab because the staff in there would set her straight. It's quite clear that she's unreasonable, which makes my arrangement with Helen perfectly understandable, especially when my wife's rampant alcoholism is taken into account. Please advise, Thomas. She's doing this, but I'm doing this, but what I'm doing is no big deal. It's just what she's doing. I was going to say, send them to marriage counselling, but I think it's past that point now, isn't it? Dysfunctional is the word that comes to mind. I just love the way he's so casual about it. 
he's sleeping with his secretary and it's not a relationship. Although, if he gets a divorce from his wife, she'll be moving in. Yeah, there's not a lot of logic, is there? No. And he's so blasé about it. My son was lying face down on the kitchen floor, like usual. My wife had already started on the morning gin. And his response to all of this is to sneak into his study and drink scotch. Scotch. It's chaos, isn't it? Absolute chaos. And then by the sounds of it, they've got this company and they're trying to tie down business. And yet they're they're all drunk. They're all drunk. They're all drunk, including the investor, which is not a bad thing, actually, when an investor's drunk. You normally seal the deal with that. But also, you've got the salespeople for the company sleeping with the wife. Well, yeah, it's this stuff about Steve from Sales. Oh, Steve from each other. Steve from Sales has obviously just taken an opportunity. Of course. He's talking about these other people as if there's something wrong with them, when actually he's just got no idea, has he? No, they all need a case of rehab. Well, even the sun, maybe. I've got visions of this company mm-hmm. where they're all staggering about drunk at drunk. 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Did she... She works for the company, does she? she? Yes, she does, because she was taken home from the... No, no, she'd have been there as his wife. Oh, I think. Okay. I think that's what he's implying, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's implying that she doesn't yeah. do anything else apart from sometimes she has to be there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I may be reading too much into this, but it, he sounds quite traditional. Mm. And it's a typical case, isn't it, of identifying someone else's drinking problem yeah. when his own is just, as, just bad. as bad. And what kind of example have they set to their son? Their son is clearly in his early 20s, as he mentions he might be the same age as the secretary. Mm. Obviously his way is following very much in his parents' way, in that he's comatose on a Friday evening. Face down on the floor. And he talks about it as if it's normal. Mm. And then he says, if only my son had been sober, we might have found out the truth. Which also implies that his son is blacking out all the time. I think he should be uh, sending the son to rehab. Well, I mean, so far as I can see, they could all benefit yeah, from a stint in rehab. And actually, the fixation on the wife, that might be what causes some sort of t- change and shift in that family. Because if she sobers up, well, what's she going to see when she goes home? It's mayhem. And plus, if he's sending her to rehab to save the marriage, when she's sober, she's going to get home. And, re- and obviously, he's sleeping with the secretary, so that's going to end the marriage anyway. It's all going to mm. end sour. But one of them going to rehab gives them a, a clearer focus yeah. and they can see what they've been doing. Yeah. But of course, if she does go to rehab, she's going to be fixated on what he's done first. Yeah. And she's going to project things onto the son. Yeah. And there's going to be, oh, well, I'm drinking because mm-hmm. he ignores me all the time and he's off shagging his secretary. Yeah. It's almost like a three-way projection system they've got going on in that house. In that the son's going to be saying, oh, well, my parents don't care, and look at the pair of them. I'm not as bad as them. I yeah. only do it on a Friday night. He will, yeah. The wife's going to be saying, he's forgotten me completely. I'm only here as window dressing. So I'm going to get my own back at him by getting really, really drunk every time there's a company do. But also, it's him that's the problem, not me. You'd drink if you were me, is what she'd end up saying, I think. It's going to be a blame. Though, and then this bloke is getting his blame thrower out at his wife and yet talking about his son being face down on the floor in the kitchen as normal. Mm-hmm. I reckon if one of them got sober, it would change the dynamics definitely, an awful lot. Definitely, and I think if, if the wife went into rehab, yeah, she'll come out, realise what's going on, see the clear picture, obviously see her son, which would be a main priority. That would probably upset her a great deal. Yeah, it would. And seeing it clearly, she might well leave the husband. Mm. 
think she was it anyway. Mm. It's one of that he's, he's been sleeping with the sick. Well, she knows. I mean, it was clear at the end of the letter, wasn't it? I think that's a watching brief. It does happen a lot, this, doesn't it? Kind yeah. Of Mexican standoffs yeah. as, the, as they project everything on each other and it just gets more and more chaotic. And yes, we do live in hope that, that people who go through all of this actually find recovery and that's the most important thing of all. Next, we have the second half of our interview with Katie where we are talking about the second of her alcoholic parents. This for me was really quite humbling in that of course I don't see myself when I pick a drink up. I don't know really what I look like and I don't have a context for it and this really reinforced my understanding of that in as much as I can fully understand it. Just what it's like to live with an alcoholic parent, an alcoholic family member who's right at the end of the road. Going further in terms of the powerless thing, I met your father in 2012. He was in a bad way when yeah. I met him, and yet he did appear to start improving a great deal. Uh, he did a cracking impression of the guy from On the Bosses. Right. I, I remember that very vividly yeah. about Neil. It was priceless, that was. <laughs> But to see that and to see that in the person, when I first spoke oh, to you, yeah. I had no idea he passed away. Yeah. Although, of course, in thinking the amount of time involved, any one of us could have gone, yeah, and many have yeah. in the last nine years. Oh, no. What's it like being so powerless over that, uh, of knowing he was on the way out? Or did you know he was on the way out? So, where Dad was concerned, the difficulty with him... He bounced around into and out of recovery yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. And he'd go weeks where he'd be seemingly fantastic. When I say functioning, where as opposed to, the only way I can describe it, you know, he was working, he wasn't slurring every day, he wasn't, you know, this is where I say that he was a great character. When you met him, he was funny, yeah. you know, he was hilarious, he'd make you laugh. Loving character. So you. You'd see past any slight whiffs of vodka here and there or slight whiffs of beer. It was really difficult when he was like that. And then he would go weeks where he'd just disappear off the face of the planet. He'd turn up to work and you can get hold of him. There are times that you do hear off him as if he'd ring you in the middle of the night and he'd say, oh, can I come and stay at yours? Things like that. And then he'd be okay again. That was, I think, what I found difficult with Dad. He had longer periods of that. I mean, I remember in yeah. 2013, in particular, he had, I'd probably say we had eight months of a relationship, which was... Pretty uh, sure I saw him. Yeah, probably. He was doing really, really well. Yeah. Again, he was in a supported housing with a few guys who, who were fantastic. And he was around ours every other day. He was in a really, really good place. And the only way that that relationship started to fail was that somebody had said to me, and said, oh, I seen your dad in the pub the other day with an old biker friend from years ago. And he was drinking, obviously. And, and that, again, the old feelings of anger. I think that in particular, I remember just standing at the top of the stairs and I heard that and I dropped the phone. And I just remember sinking to my knees. That was the biggest shock out of everything because we'd had so long that 
on the face of it he was well into his recovery and i just thought this can't be happening i literally thought this cannot be but yeah. we've been great he's been great how has this happened when realistically it probably was happening for a very long time but he just got very well at, at hiding it maybe coming to yeah. see me on the days that he was going to drink on the night maybe i was blinkered to it during that time as well i really dug deep maybe mm. what more was going on but i obviously didn't want to see it at that time because everything seemed fine but yeah that is when he really went downhill and from there on it was various things between obviously drinking homelessness naturally you come out of recovery again so there was only so much support you could get you don't want it it's not there so then he obviously fell into wrong crowds crime he went to prison a couple of times in between but when he went into prison i, I visited him every weekend I thought right okay this is another chance now yeah. getting sober in here and i suppose the kind of pinnacle point for him was that you know unfortunately his mom passed away I think it was a couple of years before he eventually passed away. And from the house sale, he got a very large, substantial amount of money. Oh! Very large, substantial amount of money. Oh dear, that's the kind of thing that can be kiss and of death. When we talk about powerlessness, I remember my auntie at the time, she just says, I don't know what to do. I said, You can't do anything because what are you supposed to do? It's legally his money. He knows it's his money. There was nothing what, anybody could have done. What did he do? Spend it? Yeah. My mum forced him to give a couple of grand to me and my brother because she knew that money was going. Mm. She says, you must give your kids a little bit here. But that was when you talk about dealing with death, that was almost like he signed yeah. his death warrant there and yeah. then because everybody knew and we were powerless to stop it. You give an alcoholic that amount of money mm. and they're going to spend it one who's not so far into the recovery I should add I see it quite frequently actually with people when they come into some kind of money the, the response can be a very negative one and it's awful to watch Yeah. and it's awful to watch someone behaving as if they're partying and having the time of their life when actually you know what they're doing to themselves and it's only a matter of time. Absolutely. Yeah, and everyone in the pub was his best friend, obviously. Yeah. And, and he didn't listen to anyone, I assume. No, no, no. We tried, obviously we tried. You know, there's a few meetings that we had as a family. But the problem is, you forget that we had these meetings. We'd tell him mm. where we were going to meet him, tell him when we were going to pick him up and he wasn't there. And, and after three or four times... I said enough I says I can't do this anymore and he said no no I'll be there give me 20 minutes and I says it's not the point I, I can't keep doing this to myself either it's quite an emotional drain God, it, horrendous it, it, it's horrendous because as I say it's that powerlessness that you just can't you, you can't get them to envision 
what they're doing you can't but to them everybody else is drinking you know as far as he's concerned everybody yeah. else in the pub's drinking why can't I because well, not understand. everybody else is going to drink themselves to death no 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 and that's again one of the hardest things I think you have to face you're not like everybody else you don't have a limit and other people have limits there is none and watching you. that you know that and watching him and you know that he doesn't have a limit. Didn't and you know that he's not going to listen to a rational argument. Not sorry. And you know that he's going to go off and do what he's going to do anyway. Oh, yeah. And the fact that you can do nothing about that and then may reach the point where you actually have to walk away yeah. must be terrifying. It was. Because, because you get that sense of impending doom, don't you? Oh, I know where this ends. 100%. Like when you said at the start that your family were just waiting for a phone call and they, they were glad not to wait for that phone call. That's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for this phone call to tell me what was going on. And, and I'd been away for a weekend and I'd come back. One thing I do want to add though at this point, mom was there for dad throughout. Even when he relapsed, yeah. she was there constantly. She knew, she knew 100%, she stood by him. Don't get me wrong, she told him off a fair few times, but she was there for him whenever he needed her. And she kept in constant contact with him, even if it was infrequently. And I'd came back off a weekend, and Mum had said, "Oh, is it, you know, your dad's in hospital." And I said, "Oh, well, what again?" You know, it's my answer, right? Okay. And she says, "No, Kate. She says it's um, it's serious this time." And I says, "How serious?" She says, "Very serious." I said, "Okay." And that obviously, I thought, okay. All of a sudden, when that happens. It's almost like the last however long didn't matter anymore. I thought, no, I've, I've got to be there for my dad. I need to, I've got to be there for him. All the anger kind of, at that point, I thought, no, 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 I've got, you know, I need to go and see him. He's not very well. So obviously I went to the hospital. Me and my brother went to visit him every single day. We went to see him. In the early days, we could have a conversation, but he was very confused, very, very confused imagined hallucinated obviously it affected his brain quite a lot yeah but you could still have a conversation you could still make you laugh and uh, believe it or not sounds mad there were some really good memories in the hospital for the first few weeks he was in there and then he just got to a stage where he just stopped eating i couldn't really get anything into him his liver had failed uh, he was affecting everything else he had gone too far and there was kind of no coming back from that and yeah, he passed away six weeks after he went into hospital. It was awful, absolutely awful, yeah. awful. Because you, like I say, you know it's coming, but you can't. It's not the same as when it happens. When it happens, it's just very finite. Yeah. That's the problem. And knowing the whole way that it's got there, and knowing yeah. everything you've seen, everything you've not been able to do. And things you can't do then. Yeah, and no matter what you say, no matter what you do, this is what you have to accept. I think one of the biggest things that we can hopefully achieve by doing things like this is perhaps encourage people to go a lot quicker on needing to do something. I hope so. Because in terms of your experience, which sounds very distressing, especially without support, I think if we did have a more coherent support structure for people actually oh, who are actually going to have to live on afterwards yeah. then it might encourage some kind of intervention earlier on I don't think we'll always be able to intervene with the alcoholic 
because sometimes they weren't reckless. No, I understand that, but I do agree that I think a lot of time is always spent by me wondering if I could have done things differently. Yeah. And that is the problem that I have to live with now, is that mm. could I have been different? Could I have just accepted him for how he was? Could I have just seen him once well, a week? It sounds to me like you did all you could yeah. in as rational a way as you could possibly have done. I think probably for self-protection, um, probably. And you must consider self-protection. There's no, there's nothing to be gained by banging your head against a brick wall the same way as he is. No. Um, and I think it's important that people out there realise that if you are dealing with an alcoholic or addict who is hitting the rock bottom beneath the trapdoor beneath the rock bottom and things are getting worse and worse that it actually isn't necessarily your job to effect a miracle but of course if it's a family member you're torn with that oh massively you know you're 100% right and yet we think, or addicts think oh I'll go to rehab for a few weeks they'll forgive me everything (laughs) We'll get out, everything's great. Everything will yeah. be fine, no, yeah. No. It's not as simple as that at all. And also it takes place over a long time. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think if I'd known that there were services out there that can at least give me, what should I do if this happens? What should I do if that happens? I'm quite a black and white person and I appreciate there's not an answer for everything, but it would have been a good outlet to kind of talk things through with people yeah. who had been And also the there, there are things that families do need to know when dealing with someone exactly. because if yeah. you actually try and lock them in a room and cold turkey them, you're probably going to kill them. And it, there's an awful lot of disinformation and misinformation out there. I've been foraying into Twitter recently, okay. just on recovery <laughs> stuff, not engaging with anything else. And there was this really quite stark message from this young woman on there. She said, why am I the only one who's 24 in this recovery circle? Yeah. And why is it seen that you have to in some way earn a badge yeah. to end up in the rooms or in rehab? As if you have to damage your liver to do it. Yeah. As if you have to be of a certain age. You have to have lost a house. You have to have lost a family. You have to have alienated everyone else and ended up in a cardboard box. And I replied to him and said, well, actually, of course you don't. But unfortunately, there is some sort of stereotype around that. And sometimes I wonder what role the media plays in it. Yeah. Because the first alcoholism story I've heard that's really rung true with me in our media in this country is the one that's currently going along in the Archers, where a lot of it is about the family. She's come back from rehab and refused to go back. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you've got the conversation between the parents. And it's that kind of stuff that you don't normally see in the media. But if it happens in Hollyoaks, it's all over in three days. Everyone's yeah. okay. Emma might give it five. EastEnders give it a bit longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At least I'm really um, normal, yeah. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's this kind of supplanted idea, isn't it? Yeah, that Alkies are men in raincoats with brown paper bags and bottles of spirits that sit on the benches in Mosley Village. Yeah, yeah. And yes, okay, there are those that do that, but there are plenty that appear to all intents and purposes to their families to be just a bit wild. And I think those are the target audiences, really, I suppose, you know, that I think those are the ones that I'd love to come forward more. There are people in their early 20s, and to be quite honest with you, you know, it's something that... I'm very aware of. I am a bit of a believer that sometimes I think DNA can play a part. I think there is a potentially an addictive gene, if you will, possibly. 
even though I drink, I like to test myself sometimes. I like to think, mm. okay, so do we need a drink this weekend now? Or I'll skip a few weekends. And you don't have to necessarily be an alcoholic to have a problem with drink. To have a bad relationship with drink, you don't have to um, classify yourself if you no, don't want to. I think that's a critical point, yes, actually, because I, th- I think it's a massive. When point. we're talking about the effect on other people, and alcohol can be like a seismic bomb. Mm. The person doesn't have to be someone who has a permanent problem with alcohol. It might just be on one occasion that they go haywire. And there are four other people there who are all indelibly damaged by it for the rest of their lives. And I think social attitudes to alcohol are part of the problem too. I agree. Post-Covid, pubs are open, great, Freedom Day. And what I saw on that day was as I was coming into work, I saw three drunks staggering around in the car park of the clumsy swan at 20 past seven in the morning oh yeah right, marvelous this is what we want to see Ludicrous. we want to see people falling over and forgetting their names what an image the reality is is that when alcohol poses any kind of problem within a family and it's perhaps less obvious than drugs mm-hmm. because the way we classify things in this country most recreational drugs are illegal Yes. And therefore there's a hint of criminality as soon as they're involved, yeah. which makes for a very different response. Whereas yes. with alcohol, you can buy it anywhere, 24-7. It's accepted more. And it can be very easily dressed up in a family situation or, or a social situation yeah. or whatever. It can be dressed up as normal, even 100%. though it isn't. 100%. One of the things I used to do to go to work do is I'd neck half a bottle of vodka before I went. Yeah. Because they wouldn't have enough. No. Or it would be too obvious if I was drinking yeah. twice as much as everyone else. Yeah, 100%. I don't think people should be afraid of responding, certainly within a family unit or within a social unit, of saying that actually I've been adversely affected by the way this person drinks. Because every time an alcoholic picks up a drink, there's a shudder somewhere. It's like a butterfly wing. And there's that fear factor and there's that oh, good feeling. There's that, oh my God, And what's the fear it engenders with those who are closest to them. It's horrendous. And I don't know what I look like until I finally face the reality police and sit down with someone and say, okay, what does it look like? But I'm also conscious of the fact that my friends or family don't have to relive telling me that if they don't want to. No, I understand. But I think it's really important that we continue the dialogue of how everyone is affected by booze or by drugs. Because the fact is, in changes, we know how to treat people who are alcoholics and addicts. We have a programme and accessing, therefore, AA or NA, and these things work. I'm not saying it would change the outcome, but it may have helped my dad in ways that are unknown to me. I may have been able to supporting more in a sense that's the other thing is that when someone dies it's they're not knowing and that's it and i think there's the never-ending questions in my mind now yeah that, that i can't i can't change things could know? i have done something could i have done something different i can't change yeah. how i was and it's difficult it does put a very finite stamp on it which is very very difficult to be honest with you but as i say the reason why i wanted to talk is to support anybody who one might be going through similar they may have a family member that they're worried about and they're not sure if they're yeah. drinking too much something's not quite right yeah. 
reach out. Absolutely. Reach yeah. out 100%. And I think in the light of my conversation with you last week, what I'm going to do is a couple more like this because I think we need to. And I think and that, you know, I'd like to hear from, from other Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, and I, I think we do need to do more of that. So I have actually put an ad out for it. Of course, people just flip through ads, don't they? Yeah. And eventually they come back seven months later. God, and say, are you still doing that? Actually, so yeah, we are still doing yes. it, yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Katie. No and if we get round to having some sort of forum, then I think we'll have you back. Yeah, that'd be lovely. And as I said, that's really quite something. And clearly we'd like more stories like this. We don't just want the stories from the alcoholics and the addicts and where they've been and how they've recovered and, and what they've found again. It's also that the family needs to recover. And having conducted that interview, that's something I'm really not going to forget. Anyway, last but not least, we have cats delivering carpet bombs in carpets. I have a request. Really? And I'm not joking. That makes a change. This is deadly serious, mate. So I've gathered. It's risky too. So I'm not going with you, Edge. I wouldn't expect that, Bruce. No? No. We've done crazy things in the past. Yeah, we have. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't... Life and death? Yeah. You won't save them all, Edge. No. But I can certainly make it easier for you. Music to my ears. Remember that tone is away at the minute? Yeah, where is he? Where is it top secret? Oh, it's never really a secret, Reg. Tony's disguises are even worse than his impersonations. Well, am I not surprised? And he's under surveillance more often than not anyway. Of course, the cabbages. How would I forget? I'm really not sure why there's an MI5 team following him every time he indulges his passion for showing his giant vegetables in competition. But there is. Yeah, it's very peculiar, isn't it? You'd think they had other priorities, really. Well, the giant vegetables are a front then. Ah, so he's smuggling from one vegetarian festival to another. You could put it that way, yes. Could? Tony's not just shifting cheap razor blades and tobacco in the wall, Red. I guess that much. Not getting a bit heavy, is it? Well, not really my problem, is it? No, not when the humans don't know that we can understand them and that we can talk. That's sometimes a blessing. Well, they can't call you as a witness. Can't charge you as an accessory after the fact. They can't subject you to endless hours of legal wrangling and so on. No, however, I think Tony has found himself in competition for the parsnip crown with none other than the head of MI6. MI6? I thought they only dealt with things abroad. They do, but the head of MI6 is rumoured to have tasked MI5 to run a covert operation to either discredit Tony's claim to authenticity and accuse him of using banned methods to produce his giant vegetables. Meanwhile, there are various security threats around the UK going unnoticed. How do you know this anyway, Brewers? Simple, really. One of my cousins is based at GCHQ. Of course he's had to put his paw on the official secrets act. But seeing as they think he can't understand, he sees and hears everything. Everything? You wouldn't believe some of the stuff he's told me. I'd like to hear it, though, someday. Yes, back to reality. Oh, yeah, reality. As Tony is away, I am therefore at liberty to loan you a variety of most effective weapons in order that your mission be successful. I hope you don't mean guns of dubious origin, with serial numbers filed off and ammunition of similarly questionable provenance, what is prone to causing misfire. Oh no, you don't want that, or do you? No mate, this is a rescue attempt, not a terrorist hijack. Oh good. 
I wouldn't want anyone getting caught in the crossfire. No, neither would I. Or blown up when they're trying to aim. No, not that neither. Along with your carpet bombs, I thought you might find this handy. Have a look, see what you think. Is this some kind of trick? Well, depends. Depends? You see, these may look like nothing. Well, not quite. They're flower pots. At first glance, yes, however. However? Oh, yeah. Are they bombs? Are we going to take out their command post with explosive geraniums? Not quite. Or are we going to rent to them immobile by firing volleys of miniature flowers? Nope. Each seeking cacti? You're not getting warmer. Okay, is the soil a form of concentrated quicksand designed to immobilise the enemy where they stand if hurled at them? Not quite. These, my friends, are surveillance modules. Surveillance modules? Tony has his best kit with him at the moment, as he obviously needs that to counterbalance the efforts of MI5 to undermine him at the vegetable show. However, he left his second tier kit. That's fortunate. Very handy, these as they cover 360 degrees and there's no lag. But I don't see... You drop these tactically as you make your way in. Then, that way, you can monitor every movement during your raid. What's more, it gives the fat bastard something to do. Genius! He can sit there plotting our escape route as we're at the rescue and he can see any move the enemy makes. Precisely. Have you got any heat-seeking cacti as well? Not quite. I've got some laxative flowers. Laxative flares? Yeah, you fire them from a specially modified water pistol. They pierce the enemy's skin and take action immediately. So the enemy has to keep running to the toilet? Yes. Tony loves these. That's why he's got so many. He's taken a whole run full to the vegetable show again this time. And it works on MR5? Oh yeah, they're supposed to be secret service. And they get these confused with sensitive flowers and keep falling asleep in the water. Fabulous! And isn't the main giant vegetable show somewhere near Mansfield? One of them is, yeah. Since that bloke won the Parson Crown, he was from Mansfield, so they hold a festival in his honour. Quite right, too. Although I can't think of many worse places to get stuck in a portaloo. Me neither. So I can take some sensitive flowers, too? Of course. Be my guest. You'll need a hand getting these on the train? I probably do, yeah. I've organised a couple of lads to get you there. Thanks, mate. So you sure you're all set then? I think so. What's up, Reg? I... What's disturbing that brain of yours? Difficult to say. I'm not sure it is. What if... You know I'm a keeper of many secrets, Reg, including many of yours. That's true. I don't think all three wouldn't exactly break the bank. No. So, what's up? There is the possibility that... That you might not come back? Yeah. We've been through worse, Reg. And I have every confidence in you. I'm not exactly working with a crack unit here, though, am I? That's true. They are a bit limited. A bit limited? Let's tell it like it is, mate. They're a liability. But you can turn that into your advantage, can't you? Can I? Remember that job we did back in the day? The dandelion rope job? Yeah, who could forget? First time cats made the papers, but the papers were still blaming the effect on an instant bunch of humans. Yeah, that was difficult. We started with ten of us, but three of them wouldn't go in the water. Another was acrophobic, and three more went to sleep. Yes. It was all down to me and you, Rich. True, but... Sounds to me like Selena isn't as stupid as she lets well think she is. No, I thought that might be the case. And she'll cause a diversion so massive that you'll be able to do the job yourself. Possibly, but I... My advice is rescue the iguana first because he's proper heavy, just like all iguanas. As soon as he's out, that bloke in the suit and trainers will be finished. Indeed, but I still need you to take this in case You're I... coming back, Reg. I know and I believe you. However, just in case I take my eyes off the ball, have an accident or... Or one of the other stops you mean. Maybe, well, whatever, but please just... Who's it for? Tom. And it's... It's all in there. You keep it. I'll collect it when I get back or... Done.
I better be off then. Yes, I'll see you soon. Yeah, soon. Well, the one thing Reg always manages is not to be predictable. Anyway, that's time for this week, actually. And as I haven't had a co-host, and I haven't been putting on various accents in order to pretend that I have, although I might try that next week. If you wish to contact us about telling a story, bringing us a story, or even a nugget that we might use at any point in the programme, please don't hesitate to contact us on the Facebook page for changes, or on Recovery Central on Twitter. If you've been affected in any way by anything you've heard in this programme, then there is help out there, and please go and find it. I did, and I'm four years away from a drink now. And all that remains is for me to say, have a lovely weekend. Until next week. <laughs>